Funding for the Hinckley Report and this podcast is made possible in part by the Cleone Peterson Eccles Endowment Fund and AARP Utah. Thank you for listening to the Hinckley Report, your weekly political roundup. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Good evening and welcome to the Hinckley Report. I'm Jason Perry, director of the Hinckley Institute of Politics. Covering the week, we have State Senator Luz Escamilla, Democrat Minority Leader representing Salt Lake City, Chris Blake, partner with RRJ Consulting, and Robert Gerke, columnist for the Salt Lake Tribune. Thank you for being with us tonight. Uh, interesting week in politics and one coming, and we get a preview of that tonight as well. But I want to start first with a leadership change in our Utah House of Representatives. Brad Wilson uh, ha has resigned to run for uh, uh, the U.S. Senate, and so we have new leadership. Um, Speaker Mike Schultz has been elected, Majority Leader Jefferson Moss, uh, Majority Whip Carrie Ann Lisenby, and Majority Assistant Whip Casey Snyder. What I think interesting, uh, Senator, let's start with you, because it was a bipartisan vote. People don't necessarily think that, unlike what happens in D.C., both parties get to vote on the Speaker of the House in Utah. Correct. And I, you know, first is congratulations to Mike. Uh, you know, Speaker um, Schultz is, he's going to do great. He's a, he's a friend, but he's also a man of his word. And I think that's something that people value. Um, it's the only currency you have in the legislature. And my experience with uh, now Speaker Schultz is that when he commits to something, he'll work with you. And even if there's disagreements, he's able to manage to bring people together. And I've been, some of my legislation has been benefited by his efforts to bring common ground and bring all the stakeholders together. And he's been very helpful and I'm, I'm excited. I mean, he's, he, I like his approach. He's straightforward. You never second guess where he's gonna be on, on issues. And I, I appreciate that type of, of politics and I'm excited. On his uh, policy approach to the state. Mm -hmm. uh, Chris, you've held an interesting position in the past as the chief of staff to a speaker. Talk about how this election works out and your thoughts about how this one went down considering how unanimous it was. Yeah, I think it's, it is interesting. You mentioned that uh, they, they voted this week on the f House floor uh, f to, to confirm or, you know, him as, as the House speaker. He was nominated by um, Representative uh, Romero for uh, Got a little confused there for a second. And, you know, they have a really interesting relationship. I, I've uh, likened it to kind of a brother-sister relationship. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting to hear even Senator Escamilla's approach with Mike Schultz. I think you've seen with Mike, he's taken kind of the mantle of leadership on his shoulders the last couple of months as he's known this transition is happening. And he's really taken seriously the, the role that he has as speaker of wanting to lead, of wanting to incorporate v varied opinions. Uh, Mike is a tough negotiator and he is going to be someone that has really strong opinions about things, but he's also open to collaboration. He's open to listening to other people. And I think he's really earnest in wanting to incorporate lots of opinions and do the right thing for the state. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Robert. Just to kind of echo what Chris says, I mean, I've seen Mike do some, do the hard work. When there are big issues, he got assigned a lot of the big issues and really dug into them. Uh, and so I think that's sort of his, his MO as a, as a representative. He's also, in my opinion, a lot more conservative than, some, than Speaker Wilson was. Uh, he was a huge Trump supporter uh, in, in both 2016 and 2020. Um, and, and then you have Carrie Ann Lisenby, who I think is interesting as well, ascending into leadership. And, and these, these are very conservative legislators compared to what we've seen in the past. And so I think that's going to sort of reflect in the legislation we see coming out of the House. I think it's a more 
more conservative body is writ large, but the leadership is a little bit more partisan, I think, than what what we've been used to in the. In but, the, oh, the only thing I will add that I heard that I wasn't thinking too much about it is North versus South, and there's like now a heavy representation of legislators from in that leadership team from the northern part of the state, and a lot of the people, mm -hmm. you know, legislators or House members, in the southern part of the state are feeling a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, Alone, maybe, or not mm -hmm. a, a lot of representation. That was a concern that was raised on that on that group of four. But all of them have been involved. I mean, Snyder was, you know, the chair for um, yeah. uh, rules committee, mm -hmm. so I mean, he was heavily already involved in some of the direction of the policy. Uh, you know, as a Senate, as member of the Senate, I love our Senate leadership, majority leadership, and we love. Um, the structure there that, um, you know, I, I'm sure the dynamic in the House certainly is very different compared uh -huh. to the Senate. We might have got a little preview of where he's going and what, uh, what he wants to do as Speaker, uh, uh, Speaker Schultz. Uh, and let me show a graphic because this is a, the, an indication from his speech when after he was elected to the body. I want to read this and then Chris, you may give a comment about where you think he's going to go uh, given what, what he talked about here. This is what uh, Speaker Mike Schultz said. It only took one round today to elect a new Speaker. I believe with all my heart that Utah has something special. We cannot and will not allow the DC model of divisiveness and dysfunction to enter into the chamber as it has in so many other states. Yeah, and I, I applaud him for that. I think it's the right approach. It's easier with the partisan split in the House to, to say something like that, but sure. I think he means it. Uh, the other thing that he has noted is that he cares deeply about energy policy. That's something that he's really going to be focused on. My interactions a lot with Speaker Schultz over the years has been in transportation. Uh, he cares deeply about having a multimodal system, and I think he's really been responsible for uh, putting more of the money into transit and into trails. And so I think that's an area that we should continue to see real growth and improvement in. Uh, but I asked him the other day what he also is focused on, and he mentioned tax policy to me mm -hmm. as wanting to see that income tax rate come lower. That might be a little bit to Robert's point uh, about some of that conservative mm -hmm. nature. But Mike will will burrow in on issues, and he will understand them as well as anyone, and that's something to that he will be a real challenge as speaker because it's going to be spread a lot, yeah. a lot further than he has been in the past. Yeah. Uh, Robert, one of the interesting things, oh, go, go ahead. And then yeah, yeah I, I, I've seen Mike um, do, as Chris said, kind of bring people together, stakeholders together. I've also seen him be kind of an attack dog at times. You know, there was an issue where they were trying to put a moratorium on the death penalty uh, two sessions ago, and he really came out hard against that and really made a, a, a show of force in the, in the in the committee hearing. So I think what's his what's his uh, approach going to be as speaker is he going to let democrats get some bills out in the committee or is he going to stifle those i mean that's it is you know bipartisanship it's not really bipartisanship it's it's still 80% running the running the show um, but you know are they allowed to contribute are they allowed to have input on bills that's that's the sort of the test of the speaker and i think we saw you know with becky lockhart when she was doing it the democrats were uh, more included than I think they had been in the past. Are we going to see that sort of go back, or is it going to be? Uh, are they going to have a seat at the table? What do you think, Senator? I'm, you know, I think with Representative Romero as a minority leader, um, Mike is going to have a harder time pushing back in the, the sense of their relationship, as it was explained by Chris, allows them to have those very tough conversations. I, I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation on energy between. Uh, Minority Leader Romero, now um, Speaker Schultz, but those are heated conversations. Yeah. And there's huge disagreement, by the way. I mean, I, I, that I can say, even though um, the Minority Leader Romero is not here, but I, I like that they actually have that conversation. Yeah. And I think that's something that I appreciate of Representative Schultz. He's not shy of having uncomfortable conversations. 
and in many of this are very uncomfortable. And that's something I think it's going to help to allow the minority to have a voice through mm -hmm. that process. Just the last comment on this, too. Robert, uh, he, Speaker Schultz stated one of his top priorities, to your point, is going to be energy. Mm -hmm. uh, these, these speakers have priorities, but that was an interesting one right out of the, right out of the gate. Well, and there's a lot of, uh, we're in sort of a transitional time in Utah in when it comes to energy, right? We're, we've seen Rocky Mountain Power say they want to phase out coal. We've seen the, the Intermountain Power Agency, you know, mm -hmm. starting to shutter their plant. We've been moving away from coal. There's this push to kind of hang on to it a little bit. I'm curious to see how that plays out. Um, but energy is always, is, is a traditional uh, top of the, you know, top tier issue for, for state legislators. And so I'm kind of interested to see what where he ends up on it. I also think he's got to be the first speaker for Hooper, which is, you know, it's fun to say Hooper. Yeah, it is. Everyone should go look at that map, make sure they know where Hooper is. Uh, I want to talk about what's happening in D.C. for just a moment. Uh, Chris, it looks like uh, another government shutdown has been avoided uh, with some actions taken this week. Talk about what's happening in Washington, D.C. as it relates to, uh, to the state of Utah, because we did not have unanimous support yeah. in that vote. Yeah, I guess avoided in the short term. Uh, I still don't know how Speaker Johnson is going to manage uh, the end of uh, this continuing resolution. You know, he's got this two-tiered approach, um, and I think he's gotten a little bit of rope from, you know, the hard right in terms of being able to punt the, push the can down the road, so to speak. But I don't know how he's going to find a resolution without doing something similar to what Speaker McCarthy, Speaker Boehner, Speaker Ryan, uh, you know, all the rest have had to do, and that's find votes on the other side of the aisle in order to continue the government. It's clear that the House and Senate, even on the majority, or excuse me, on the Republican side, mm -hmm. don't see eye to eye on some big issues, including Ukraine and, and some other things. And so I think at the end of the day, we're going to see uh, we're going to see all sorts of drama. It is not going to end uh, easily because there's just significant disagreements and the far right in the House, uh, I don't even know if they really want to govern. I'm not mm -hmm. sure what they want. I guess they theoretically want spending cuts, which is fine, but they haven't really proposed how to do that and deal with some of the mm -hmm. other issues that are out there. Mm -hmm. uh, Senator, so Speaker Johnson needed Democrat votes to get this through, to to get the CR uh, moved forward. Can I talk about that for a minute? Because everyone in his party was not completely Very thrilled happy. that that's yeah. how he resulted. Well, I mean, it's deja vu all over again, right? So I'm like, if they're not learning the pattern that it, we uh, we need this, and again, by bipartisan, I mean coming together on certain mm -hmm. issues, and it's okay to agree to disagree, but at the end, if you want to move forward, nine weeks is not enough. I mean, I'm already getting anxious about only having nine weeks of, mm -hmm. of, of our, our government being able to operate and, and bring the services to the, to the people that I, when I hear the same Republicans that were complaining about the previous speaker upset about this, and I'm like, are you guys not learning? I'm like, it's, a, it's a deja vu all over again, and it's, they're just going to have to live, and at one point, mm -hmm. it's their own caucuses. I mean, I, I'm... It's disturbing. I mean, they're f almost calling fights in the middle of Congress now. Where's that decorum? It has yeah. been lost. People punching each other, apparently, or touching each other. I'm like, I'm, it's, it's um, seriously a circus over there, and I, it's pathetic. It's very sad. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, it's been observed by our students at the University of Utah as well, what's happened recently. In fact, we had a student send in a, a question about this very topic and what you mentioned, Senator. And maybe, Robert, if you'll watch this and give a comment uh, to this question. Hi, my name is Anna Locke and I'm a sophomore at the University of Utah majoring in economics. The House just recently passed a bipartisan spending bill to avoid a government shutdown. However, this extension is only temporary. 
With all the recent issues going through Congress, like the speakership and the government shutdown, it appears that it's so divided that practically nothing can be accomplished. What steps does Congress need to take moving forward in order to reach a compromise? Yeah, I, I, it's it's one of those things where it's almost built into the system, right? Especially when you have a house controlled by one party, barely controlled. I think controlled may be too strong of a word, but functionally run by one party, and then you've got the Senate run by the other party, and you've got a White House. So it's there's this there's this natural tension. I don't know that there's a way to break through that without seeing some shift in the electoral makeup of it. Yeah. And I think especially in the House, when you talk about the way that districts are divided. The gerrymandering of it makes it so you get these more strident Republican and Democratic, most both liberal and conservative. They're a lot more strident. They're a lot more embedded. They don't have to worry about getting elected in November. They have to worry about getting their party's nomination, and then that's it. And we've seen it happen here, and it happens all across the country. So that's I think that's the big breaking point right now. Uh, and and so you know we talk about not being able to pass budget bills. You know we haven't been able to pass budget bills in years, and now we've got instead of kicking one can down the road, we're going to kick two cans down the road. I, it's it seems like it's it's really dysfunctional. I think this was the most, the, the least productive Congress since the Great Depression, yeah. and so we're we're we've been on this trajectory for a while, and I think the entire system is in danger of breaking down. Mm -hmm. Uh, before we leave Washington, D.C., Chris, I want to talk about a, a recent position change for Congressman Moore. Uh, he, is now, uh, he is now the vice chair of the House GOP conference. It's an interesting position for a sort of a junior leadership position, but it's number seven on the House GOP a list of uh, leadership. Well, it's also the stepping stone to House Speaker, so I expect uh, Blake Moore to be the next House Speaker. Oh, wow, okay. Uh, you know, that's where Mike Johnson came from. No, I, it, it speaks to Blake Moore's capability and his talent, and I just think it's uh, awesome to see. I'm a big fan of Blake Moore's. I've known him and his family for a long time, but he really, he's, he's somebody that's serious, uh, but enjoyable to be around, um, is not dogmatic in the way that he approaches issues. And so I hope to see him continue to rise. Um, he early on was a supporter of Liz Cheney. So it's interesting to see him sort of thread the needle through that conference mm -hmm. and find himself in a really respectable space. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it speaks to him, but also the way that Utah generally punches above its weight. And so kudos to him. And I can't wait to see him as the next House Speaker. <laughs> it's pretty striking, though, to see I mean, for a guy who's only been there for a little while to earn the respect of his colleagues. So quickly and because you know there were some there were some pretty heavy hitters in that in that yeah. uh, race against him so for him to emerge victorious I think is is, is an honor for him but it also speaks to the way he's ascendant in the in the house leadership mm -hmm. it's great for you Tom and he's also super nice I think he has this ability I mean I'm, we've known him now as, as congressman in that capacity and he's very neutral which I think it's it gives people the ability to say, I can talk to this guy, and you know, and but I, I think for Utah, even though of course it's not, we would love to get more Democrats obviously elected, that's our priority, but to see one of our own um, get into those positions of leadership mm -hmm. for a small state like Utah, yeah. it's, it's like really good. Mm -hmm. Uh, let's go more local for just a moment. And uh, Chris, let's start with you because uh, the mayor's race for Salt, for Salt Lake City, this is a, a very interesting race, not just because of how it's playing out with names that people know pretty well throughout the state, but for our capital city, something unique is happening here, and it's a ranked choice voting election here for the mayor's race. Talk about, maybe for our viewers, what that means, and let's talk about the implications as it may in this race and going forward. Yeah, absolutely. The, and ranked choice voting, as uh, I first 
first became aware of it when I was at the state party. We used it in the election for governor in 2004, and it's where you're, you're able to rank all of the candidates, one through whatever number you have. So if there are eight candidates, you know, you pick a first choice and a second choice and a third choice. And once your first choice vote falls off, it, it defaults to your second choice vote. Theoretically, what the, the proponents have argued is that it allows you to, um, you know, maybe vote for a candidate that's not going to get that support, but you want to show that you, you like them, you like some of their ideas, maybe almost like a coalition-style voting system, but ultimately it's going to winnow it down. The challenge is, when you get the ballot, it's not terribly intuitive, and it's a little bit frustrating when you see it. And I, so I think as more people have become exposed to it, uh, they have not particularly liked it because it is not intuitive, it's not a binary choice. There, there may be, maybe there are some positives to that, but uh, it leads to some confusion and some frustration, and I think a lot of people feel like, ooh, if I vote this way, should I be gaming it this way? And so uh, I'll be interested to see. There, there, was a, I, there was some angst last year that we should get rid of this. I, I wonder if more will be as, as more people become exposed to it. Uh, Robert, you are so good at reading the chessboard and what may happen uh, with the particular moves, but on this one, in this mayor's race, there are yeah. three candidates, Michael Valentine, uh, Rocky Anderson, Aaron Mendenhall. So uh, to, to, to Chris's point, uh, the Mendenhall campaign even put out um, a flyer that said, you don't have to vote for all three. Yeah. Talk about what happens and maybe this third place candidate, whoever is in the third place, what, how this may shift the dynamics. I mean, I think that's mo directed most directly at Michael Valentine, right? So he's most likely to finish third. He would be the one dropped off. But if he gets, you know, if he's polling 10% of the vote, that could roll over to Rocky, most likely Rocky. I mean, you know, and, and that would be a big boost for, for Mayor Anderson if, if, if Mayor Mendenhall's under 50%. If she's over 50%, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And I think the likeliest outcome is that she's going to finish first on the first, first round, Rocky's going to be second, and, and there's not going to be enough there to, for Michael Valentine to make a difference. But, you know, it, there, it, it strategically, it makes sense for her to say, well, you know, you can leave it blank after, after one, and then those votes won't ro roll to Rocky Anderson. So strategically, it makes sense. Um, I'm not sure that in, in this particular race it's going to matter. It's not like the Sandy race we had a few years yeah. ago where there were like eight candidates mm -hmm. and, you know, they had different rounds of balloting. Um, and, and, you know, so I, it, it's, it's potentially going to make a difference. I, I think more likely maybe in some of the city council races it might make a difference. Um, I, I don't see it being a big factor in the mayor's race, though. Is ranked choice voting going to um, catch on? So, you know, because this is kind of like therapeutic for me after losing that race four years ago. So, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> whew, uh, PTSD here. But because we didn't use, obviously, that one on the last election, and then there was an election in between where they did it for council members. So this is the first time you have the, this such a large election. Uh, I think it defeats the purpose when you're shifting, right? It is the idea of empowering people. We, we, meaning the, the, the Democrats were very supportive, actually. Representative, um, former Representative Chavez Hauk yeah. was one of the leaders on, on passing this legislation and making it available for, uh, to be part of our election system. I, I think it's, it is, you know, people are confused. It's confusing, and it's the first time that it's being utilized. I think it, it's, in, when there's a lot of more candidates, which four years ago we had nine initial candidates, maybe it would have been an interesting dynamic there. With three candidates, I, I'm not sure how that yeah, really yeah, uh, it will be impacted, right? So that, that's where I think it's, it's interesting. If I could, before we move on, if we go back to the question the student asked, though, about how we address some of the divisiveness, I do think there is something to be said about 
you know, if you're trying to be somebody's number two or number three choice, you don't go a scorched earth campaign. And so I think, you know, from that standpoint, there are some benefits potentially there. I don't know that it's going to catch on because we actually saw more cities using it two years ago than we saw this yeah. year. Um, and so, you know, and, and the people, as Chris mentioned, people who've tried it are kind of like, eh, you know, Sandy tried it. They decided not to use it this time. So, I mean, we have to see, but I think there are some real upsides to it. Mm -hmm. uh, one more interesting dynamic in this race, Chris, is uh, who's endorsing these candidates. Uh, uh, Gary Herbert uh, has come out uh, saying that he would support Aaron Mendenhall, and Phil Lyman, who's going to run for governor, uh, is endorsing Rocky Anderson. Yeah, and if you'll remember when Rocky Anderson was mayor the first time, one of the people that he battled hard with was then a young representative in the House named Stuart Adams, mm -hmm. who's the Senate president. I think there's a number of folks at, at the state capitol that have no interest in a Rocky Anderson uh, 2.0, and they just they enjoy working with Erin Mendenhall. They think she's collaborative. Uh, I'm, I know they've had their battles, but and and maybe at some level it, it is that balance that Democrats have to strike here uh, between how do I work to get some of my priorities done versus being more confrontational and appealing to a base that likes that and likes that approach. And so it's a it's a tough challenge, as Senator Escamilla knows, and and one. But it's clear they're not interested in Rocky 2.0, and that's why you see Governor Cox and uh, Gary Herbert and others saying, no, let's support Erin Mendenhall. She brings a good approach and a, mm -hmm. and a good air to to the to the to City Hall. Yeah, I mean, uh, Senator Escamilla can probably speak to this too, and I agree with Chris. Like, there's there's this constant tension. Do, I, do as a Democrat, do I stand up and shake my fist and make my take my stand and then die on that hill, or do I try to, you know, as as uh, Mayor Mendenhall said, she's tried to do is bring people to the table and try to get as much as we can from the legislature, and the legislature still has. A huge amount of control over Salt Lake City. It limits what they can do and tells them what they can't. So, you know, I, I think it's important to be collaborative in that in that way, especially when you're a mayor. Um, and I think Chris is right. I think that that's the the real risk with a, another Rocky term is that it, it took a long time to rebuild a lot of those relationships for the you know between the city and the legislature, and it would be a, a, a step back to you know go back to that sort of combative, uh, you know, punitive approach that, that that was taken during his term. Uh, let's talk about a couple other races. Uh, let's talk about the the Senate race, Senator. Because what's interesting is uh, we, our, the slate was sort of set for for a little while here. With, with, you know, Brad Wilson once he announced, but. Uh, we had an announcement that John Curtis was not going to run, but rumor on the street is maybe he's thinking about it. Yeah, I was surprised because we heard so much before, and everybody's like, he's coming in, and of course then um, Brad Wilson announcing, and and Brad, you know, he's he's been so good, and we've sponsored bills together. He's a good friend, and we were in his last speaking engagement together. We were talking, you know, doing a, a to students together, so we had a chance to you know, uh, talk about some of our experiences working in this bipartisan approach. But now hearing again Congressman Curtis, and, and he's also great. I mean, both of them are great. I, I think, uh, you know, we, a lot of Democrats like Mitt Romney. So there's been this, because mm -hmm. I always say he's almost like a Kardashian for Utah, right? Like everybody <laughs> loves Mitt Romney. I mean, I'll say this, it's not, it's real. Like it, when the interns, um, when Mitt Romney comes, all interns come and ask for a picture with him. It's the only member of the congressional delegation that has like a line oh. of people. I, and I've seen it year after year. And it's, there's something about Mitt Romney. So I, I think 
we collectively understanding that Democrats have very few opportunities to win a U.S. Um, Senate race, want to see another Mitt Romney coming yeah. to the U.S. Senate. So, and those two, I think, both are, are great guys. I mean, Curtis and, and, and Wilson are, are great, but it's interesting to see now his shift to maybe I'm interested, and I'm like, what's going on? Let's make a choice. You know, Chris, I'd be interested to know what you think of this, but in, from, from where I sit, I don't think Speaker Wilson's really caught fire the way he expected to. He has cleared the field, for the most part. Um, he's raised a lot of money, but I, I think there's still an opening for if John Curtis wants to get in, he can get in. And going to the sort of the north-south split that Luz was talking about earlier, Curtis has represented a huge chunk of southern, you know, the southeastern south part of the state. So I think there's a potential there for him to have a base that Brad hasn't been able to tap into yet. I think I think if if John Curtis decides to get into this, it, it completely flips the race on its head. Uh, look, John Curtis is a super talented politician, and I was excited to see him stay in the House. Um, or suggests he was going to stay in the House for another reason. Uh, Speaker Wilson and John Curtis, Congressman Curtis, are very similar in terms of the way they approach things. I think they're both very likable. They're both very uh, pragmatic. I think they would represent Utah well. And so I hate to see them go against each other and potentially split some of that vote uh, and, and end up with somebody that will come in with a, a much more confrontational tone. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe they can ultimately resolve that and, you know, the, the final, they'll be the final two in the primary. But I think there is some risk that the two of them together together uh, end up splitting some of that vote that's, if you will, more mainstream mm -hmm. uh, because they, they do have similar approaches. But the, the thing that Speaker Wilson has done well up to this point, and it's, he's been laser focused, he's been out there, but he has raised money. So mm -hmm. he is going to be competitive from that perspective. Now, John Curtis can bring some of that to the, to the race as well, but uh, Speaker Wilson is well situated to be a strong uh, uh, you know, competitor in this race. Yeah, our last 20 seconds, go ahead, Senator. Oh, no, just I, like I said, I think both of them are great. I, and we want, we need another one like that uh, to replace Mitt Romney. We mm -hmm. need someone that can be uh, accessible, and I think both of them are. And, but you're right, it will be interesting to see if they split the vote and then you have this third person coming of more of a scary perspective. <laughs> so I, I'll take any of those two guys, but. Yeah. We'll be watching this one closely. Of course, we're watching voter turnout as well. Ballots are in people's homes. We should be sending those in. It does have an Please. impact. Thank you for listening to The Hinkley Report. If you enjoy this podcast and want to help more people find out about it, please rate it and leave us a positive review.